This is part two of my car ride to my pitch meeting in LA. So it's still January of 2023. And for a long time, I thought being black was this singular experience. But then I started traveling and I was both embarrassed and comforted to realize that that was just the American in me. I was in Amsterdam a while back and I was not having a good time. Not because of Amsterdam, I mean, I think it, it's beautiful there. I was just lonely. I went into this restaurant called Fresh Leaves and the owner was black. Well, that's the American in me. Uh, he's Surinamese from Suriname, which is this country in South America that used to be a plantation colony of the Netherlands. And being the descendant of enslaved people and living among the descendants of enslavers is such a strange and complicated, but also for a certain group of people, universal experience for a massive group of people, a universal experience. And so when I was there, we started talking and right away, even though we're from worlds apart, we had all these inside jokes and misunderstanding. And every time I have this experience, it feels like magic. And who wouldn't want to talk about that all the time? Anyway, these are the Secret Adventures of Black People, and I am your host, Nicole Hill. All right, I am in a parking lot. I am, um, I'm early for the meeting, and so I'm just taking this moment to uh, breathe and center myself or something. You know, actually, there's this question uh, that I always get at these meetings that I need to come up with a better answer for. That's what I want to be doing right now. I want to think about this. The question is always, what is universal about the story I want to tell, like how will a larger audience connect, you know? And on the one hand, of course, I can get uh, upset and turn it around and be like, <laughs> I mean, what's pressing or universal about cocaine, Bear? But, I mean, that doesn't matter. It is, I mean, it really doesn't matter because because I want to make the show. I think it's a great idea and I can't make it without help and I can't get help without money. So I need to convince these people or somebody to give me an opportunity. And part of that is being able to answer this question. Why should anyone care? How is an audience going to connect? I mean, how does an audience connect to anything really? It's wild that humans can understand one another. It's kind of a miracle, but I'm probably, I'm probably not gonna say that. Okay, all right, let me zoom out. Let me not think about the question. Let me think about me. What's my deal? What's my deal? What's with all the black stuff? My name is Tadako Kahin, and I am just living out here trying to do what it do. Mm -hmm. You know, I got a restaurant, that's where you met me. 
Um, so when you ask, like, yo, I didn't, I was surprised to see that many black people in Amsterdam. <clears throat> they put us all on the southern east side of Amsterdam. When my grandma came in from Suriname, like my uncles, they that's that's all where they reside. So when you walk around there, that's just fully African, fully Surinamese, fully black. I found out in the second grade that I was black, you know, that it was a thing. Uh, Michael something was mad at me because I crushed him in the magic minute again. Uh, and he said something to me that had to do with me being black, something mean. And I just remember that I knew he wasn't allowed to be mean to me just because I was better than him. So I told the teacher. And the teacher got so mad. And there was this girl in our class, you know, we'll say Jessica, and um, she'd gotten sick and had to go away. And before she came back, all the teachers had come in and they talked to us about how she would have shorter hair and she would be in a wheelchair and and she might not have energy to play with us like she did before, but that she's still the same and that we need to treat her exactly the same. Um, and um, she hadn't come back yet, but we'd been briefed at the time that all this happened. And so anyway, the teacher took me and Michael out into the hall and he kept asking him. He was like, um, where did you hear that? Where did you hear that? And um, and then he made Michael apologize to me, which he did, which felt weird, bad weird. And then we went back into the classroom and the teacher stopped class and he made this speech about how we don't treat people different for any reason, just because they're not like us. And in the same way we don't treat Jessica different, we don't treat people different because of the color of their skin. And I remember being like, what? I don't think he meant that being black was like being ill, but I started to wonder if people were briefing people on me before I came in the room. I really got kind of a little obsessed with this idea that they were like sitting people down and being like, even though she's black, you have to treat her the same. And it made me so mad because I was outperforming everyone. We were a twice as hard, half as much kind of family. And on top of that, I'm the oldest. When I was younger, I was super competitive. So I, I was, I just, I couldn't understand what you would be prepping these kids for other than to be dominated by me. But I did start to notice the ways that people acted. I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't explain it. But I just realized that if blackness came up, non-black people had these reactions that were just off. It was like they would get too quiet or too talkative or too nice or too mean. Sometimes I come around and they'd get really tense or I'd show up somewhere and people would be overly surprised. And I had this feeling like I was being watched, but just me, like the black one. 
But then I thought maybe that was in my head. I don't know. I couldn't have explained it. I just knew something was going on. And then as I entered into my teen years, I'd hear adults talk about, you know, so-and-so got arrested because they were black or they didn't get a job or like the news wasn't telling the whole story because the people involved were black. But I'm from a largely white suburb in Virginia. So I feel like am I supposed to believe that we're just surrounded by families, gathering around the dinner table, having conversations about keeping an extra eye on us? That there's like some big conspiracy going on because we're black? I don't think so. I was like, this has to be paranoia. It has to be. Just last week, a new report came out that this same tax agency had a blacklist. <laughs> they was putting people on a blacklist um, just to keep an extra eye on these people with no lawful base. They really came out with a report and said, like, y'all built a whole system that flags people based on their ethnicity, based on their background and flag them as fraud. So, and this is in all government institutions. That's crazy. And that is for years. That's that's how the system is built. So that's the hardest part of living in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what makes it so easy for people to say racism doesn't exist in this country. Because how would you know? Mm. How would you know you're on a blacklist? How are you supposed to know that your struggle ain't supposed to be that hard? Right. That's like crazy. I applied for government assistance over the over this 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 this, this um, uh, pandemic period, but I had to sit down. Um, it was like I had to wait like seven months to get a a dime. Wow. And I'm not saying it's racism, but how would I know? I just decided I didn't want to talk about being black, not with white people, not with black people. I just didn't want it to be a whole thing. And anyway, usually I was the only one. And I figured like, this is representative of what the whole world is. It's mainly white. They are the majority of the people that I will ever meet. So shouldn't I just learn how to make them comfortable? I got to college and I joined the Black Student Union that felt like what you do. And at our first meeting, we were going around doing introductions and there was this girl from Missouri there. And when she said, you know, hello, I'm whoever, I'm from Missouri, everybody had this reaction. And she was like, there are black people in Missouri. I don't know, you know, why you guys don't know this. And I was kind of like, well, then how do they get cropped out of every picture I've ever seen of this place? But I'm saying this as a person whose mom is from Maine. I, I thought we were a fluke. Anyway, I was surprised. Missouri girl was way cooler than me, so I never really got to know her. But at these meetings, I would watch her. And she was so confident and so ready to talk about black stuff out loud, no hesitation. And she sounded like every other black person I'd ever heard. And she got all the references. And then I kind of realized that everybody in the room got all the references, including me. And I thought, like, whoa, we have a culture. I hadn't really known that there was enough of us or enough of me to even really have that. We have these traditional dishes. It's, um, it's called pom. 
Um, Pomish is actually a Jewish dish. Oh, is it? <laughs> it is. Oh, wow. It's actually a Jewish dish that came from uh, Portuguese Jews to Suriname. Um, and, you know, we did a thing to it. We made it more delicious. <laughs> we made it more delicious, man. I mean, <laughs> the funny thing is, um, Surinamese people, we will never eat from just anywhere. We need to know who made it. Uh, <laughs> Where it come yeah. from? Is the real thing? Who made it? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's like our mac and cheese. <laughs> yeah, you just don't walk in and say like, "Yeah, give me a, give me, give me some." You know, because it's like I don't, I don't really. <laughs> we we say like, "Ik eet niet op straat," which is like I don't eat in the street. <laughs> so like we need to know who made it, who put their hand in it, who washed mm-hmm. the chicken. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> even in my restaurant, like when I put like a typical Surinamese dish, dish like a uh, salto. Salto is like a soup, right? Mm-hmm. I make my vegan, but it's like a chicken stock um, uh, with all these like like a bunch of herbs, like a bunch of like like we we put like we put our foot in it. You know what I mean? And <laughs> it's like they they asked me before the order, like, "Yo, is this the real?" Mm-mm-mm. Oh. Is it, it like, is like is it the real uh, like how do they like, ask uh, that they speak in Dutch like how do they ask you that to be sure what do they say is it the is it the echte salto is it the echte echte salto oh, what does is that mean echte, echte? <laughs> it's like is it the real real my assumption then was that nobody knew that we had a culture or that there were you know that we were everywhere because I hadn't known that. And so I move into just truly the most <laughs> obnoxious, kind of clickbaity, insufferable part of, you know, discovery. I was like, every sentence starts with like, oh, did you, did you know? Oh, um, here's the thing no one's talking about. Um, you know, what they don't want you to know is, but uh, luckily after college, I think, what happened is I got a little braver and moved into the next phase. I don't know what you would call it, but it's it's not, you don't make statements anymore. You start asking questions. You start asking questions of yourself. I started to ask questions of myself that come from discovering that for a long time, I. it wasn't just that I didn't want to talk about being black. I mean, I was trying to pretend that I wasn't. And so now that I was you know, wanting to be proud, I I had to ask, like, is it okay that I talk like this or should I try to change it? Do I go Martin's way or do I go Malcolm's way? People have always told me that I would be pretty if I weren't so dark. And even though I know that I shouldn't, what do I do about the fact that I believe that? Why do we feel so split? Why do I feel so split? So what language do you speak in Suriname? Like, what do you official, what's the official language or whatever? Well, the official language is Dutch. Oh, okay. Okay. The official language is Dutch, right? And then there's Sranantongo, which is the, uh, which is the Surinamese language. But um, that was outlawed to speak. Right. And even in my mom's day, like my, my parents' day, it was considered indecent to speak it. Really? So you wouldn't speak it in school. You wouldn't speak it around grown people. You would speak it amongst your friends. Right. 
or you hear grown folks speak it, but you can't, you know, so you would, you, you would get a lashing if you spoke it, right? Really? Yeah. From so other Surinamese really people? Something. Like Surinamese people were like, do not speak this? Or was it like yes. a Dutch? Wow. Well, that's the thing, right? So my parents came here after the Surinamese independence. Um, and they kind of assim- assimilated into Dutch culture. When you go to Suriname, it's like these, we call them, Oh, they call themselves Maroons, um, which is basically the enslaved people that ran away. And they ran away in the jungle where Masra, like the master, couldn't catch them, right? Mm. So when you cut loose from the plantation and you start building your own villages in the jungles, there's nobody that can tell you like, yo, you can't speak your language. You can't dress that way. You can't, you know? So they preserve their own culture within that. So even now you have stories about people from the West Coast of Africa coming to Suriname and they can understand that language still. Really? Exactly. Like, and that's like 400, 500 years later, but even even to this day, there's a a real um, how do you call it divide or it's a divide. It's a divide to where it's a sense of like yo y'all live in the jungle, right? Oh, I see. We live in the city, and on the other side, like yo y'all y'all stayed in the city. Y'all didn't run away. Y'all weak. Mm. And and it's like the, when you when you when you look at the Creole population, um, they're often like lighter skinned mm. than the people that you know stayed and st- stuck in the jungle with each other. You know, so it's stuff like that. It's like, man, that's that that's the number that they did on us. And so, right? do people speak Surinamese now? Will they speak your oh, language yes. now? Yes, really, they what speak changed? it now, but um. Well, what changed is that, um, I guess, the stigma, Mm. right? As I got older and as the world kept changing around me, I found all this stability in my identity, finally. I found it through service and giving back. I found it through protest and fighting back. I found it through caring what happens to the people around me, not just who look like me, but people who have felt like they were alone or like they're the only ones. I wanted to be sure that I was a part of the group of people who were saying, no, you're not. You're here, we're here, I'm here. You know, we always have been. And I just kind of found that naturally, if I go sit with black people, that's what we'll end up doing anyway, so. I don't know. I felt a lot of peace in that. I found a lot of peace in that. I found a lot of belonging in caring about what happens to the whole and making sure that everybody's story gets told. Well, in Surinamese culture, we um, we cleanse ourselves, right? We cleanse ourselves with... Um, and you don't have to wait for the new year, but a new year particularly, we cleanse ourselves and it's like... You 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 prepare like a a big tub and you fill it like with water with like 
flowers with like roses, your favorite perfumes, like other toilets, like uh, Florida Vada, like Seven Spirits. And you mix it and it's just a bath. It's just like a flowery bath and you light a candle and you you wear your like your, your pani, which is like a Surinamese cloth. And like your family is usually like the eldest of the family. They throw water on you and they're trying to speak fortune over you, like for the new year, like wash all the old off and just step into the new year fresh. Mm. So after everyone threw water on you and wish and, and, and spoke their wishes for you, you throw water on yourself and you speak wishes on yourself as well. Right. Wow. So, and you can, I mean, you can do it alone too. It's just for that moment that you thank your, um, your ancestors, especially right. Mm -hmm. Those that came before us those that are still watching over us. And we ask them for foresight to guide us in the right way to, 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 um, you know, for, if someone put an evil eye on you, just to, to wash that away, to, to protect yourself from, from, from harm and from people that don't wish you well. Wow. That's beautiful. And then you eat. It's beautiful. And then we definitely eat. <laughs> um, and so when you go to Suriname, it's like New Year's Day. They start with some firecrackers, boy. It's like from dusk, like the entire day. You were like, yo, how do they have so much firecrackers? It's like, like all day, like all day. And it's like, you know, firecrackers and like Johnny Walker bottles. <laughs> like, you know, it's like. So the question of how will a larger audience connect? What's universal about my story? I think generation to generation, probably every human being has asked the question in some way, shape or form, where do I fit in? How do I fit in? Am I the only one? And the point of all the stories that I tell, even though all of my protagonists are black, is to say, like, no, you're not. And to demonstrate the journey that a person can go through to find out that they're not. To the journey that I went through to find out that I'm not, that I'm not alone. And I tell my stories the way I do and I laugh a lot because I think it's funny and I think it's fun and I want to celebrate community. The discovery that you're not alone and you never were. I don't know if any of that even made any sense. I don't know. Okay. All right. That's enough practice. Let's go.